So this morning, I'm going to recap a little bit. This is called Kingdom Kingdom Worldview, Fear or Faith, Part 2. And part of the reason for that was when I initially started to speak about this, we really just settled on the fear part. We never really got too much to the faith because the sense I had of the Spirit was that we were going to take off that part. So John 10.10, we're on this journey of kingdom worldview, which is basically that uh, life, circumstances, gender, uh, geography, big up from the Manchester contingent here this morning. Uh, we have international guests that have flown in so that they can be part of DCB. We've got people from Scotland, from down south, and I hope I haven't left any, and uh, Mexico, as he likes to call it, Monaghan. So whatever we, wherever we come from, we have this worldview that as far as we're concerned, that's what the world is. So I was talking to uh, Dwayne there, and he comes from Manchester. I said, you support, uh, which team you support? You know, because it's City or Man United doesn't support football team. Now, in Manchester, that w- that's just a worldview that, that for most people, they'd be going, what do you mean? Probably give you some derogatory comment that I can't repeat on the microphone uh, because of that. So you, you grow up, and what you have grown up with, whether it's Manchester United or whether it's Manchester City, that is it. That's, of course, that's the best team in the world because that's the way you've been brought up. And we have that view about lots and lots of things that we have in life. So we've been looking at worldview uh, and we, we have also identified that the worldview that we have gets fueled by our soul, our, our mind, our will, and our emotions. So it's our thoughts, and it's our position, and it's our feelings uh, that, that keep this going. But we have a, an invitation and an application of a kingdom worldview and a kingdom culture, uh, which is the positive reality. So this worldview, if the glasses are really dark, you go, like really dark, you can't actually see that it's an absolutely stonking day. Uh, by the same token, you might have a very, uh, uh, so it's a false negative reality. You're, you're, you're looking out and, and you're saying, oh, it's really dark today, but it's actually a beautiful day because you haven't got your, you're wearing the, the, the wrong glasses. Or, uh, and there's not a lot of them about, but they're, they're an optimist, optimist, and they have a, a, a false positive reality. So everything's great. I can get bright orange glasses for this. Uh, and everything's just bright. Everything's bright. So even when it's dim, it, it, it's bright. Uh, and uh, so our worldview can give us a false reality. Well, a kingdom worldview gives us a true positive reality. And it's a simple objective, absolute truth. Simple, objective, absolute truth versus the subjective lies and deception of the world, of ourselves, and of the evil one. And the destination of a kingdom culture is Jesus, the freedom and fullness that he offers. So John 10.10a says that the evil one came to kill and to steal and destroy. But Jesus said, John 10.10b, that I have come to give you life and life in all its fullness. So the last message was uh, uh, centered very much on on this part. I'm going to do a very uh, quick recap on that. Um, Fear originated in the fall. Uh, Genesis 3, 8 to 10, and this is after eating the, the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the God, Lord God called the man, where are you? God never asks a question he doesn't know the answer to. Uh, so it was for their purpose. It was to reveal where they were at. And the man said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so it began. Uh, the, the seed and the foundation of fear. And it's fueled by our worldview factors. So we've got Western culture. We've got Northern Ireland uh, parochialism, our weak country, how we see things. And then we've got uh, uh, religion, uh, external behavior, and uh, how we're supposed to uh, act, how we're supposed to dress, how we're supposed to react to things. Uh, it comes from our religious uh, culture. So that can be manifest in 24-hour news. We, we have to get the information out. We don't have any information, so we'll speculate. And we'll uh, get this person who doesn't know anything about the financial situation in the world and go, well, do you think we should be worried as it goes out to millions of people? And they go, well, it's a very significant situation we've got going. Brexit, we don't know whether it's going to be a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit, uh, whatever it happens to be, who cares? Coming at us all the time. Uh, or we've got our we country, our inherited double siege mentality. When the ceasefire was announced on the 31st of August, 1994, I can remember in the weeks that passed that there was this part of my brain that I suddenly had use of that I hadn't had use of before. And I was going, what is that all about? And what, what it was all about was, was I, when I was leaving work, I had this part of my brain that sort of had a contingency plan for, well, what happens if the motorway was closed? What happens, listen to the news, just in case some buck agent decides to plant a bomb uh, or give a, a, a bomb scare or there's been some tragedy that has happened and we have to go. And there's this part of my brain because that's the way I thought. I had a, a worldview uh, uh, about that that generated fear and concern. What if? And then, of course, we've got our, our religious culture, which is about doing the right thing. So if we don't do the right thing, what are people going to say? And we've got, we've got fear. We generate fear all around us. And as a result of that, uh, the, the fear is really fear of fear itself. Fear of fear of itself. The simple objective, absolute truth from the kingdom worldview, and I don't know how many times I said it because I was quoting what the Bible said, I didn't make it up, was summed up in four words about fear, which was, do not be afraid. Over and over and over again. And as I said when I prepared the message last time, I thought I was going to have to justify that statement. But actually I found that the, that phrase over and over and over again in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, God says to the people, the angels say to the people, Jesus says to the people, do not be afraid. And the key verse for the application of that was 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, God has not given us a spirit of fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if I'm experiencing fear, and it's not fear of the, the holiness of God and my sinfulness, then that fear must be coming from the wrong side of John 10.10. 10, and that must be the evil one that's condemning me and accusing me and generating fear in me. We have not been given a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of love. The love that was given to us because of what Christ did on the cross. He died and he rose again. He has given us the spirit of power. 
uh, not Northern Irish power, but kingdom power, the heaven power that was the same power that raised Jesus Christ. Listen to, to what it says in Ephesians 1, 18 to 21. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. And he has given us a spirit of sound mind. Now, uh, Colin refers to it every time he, he speaks. Uh, so do I. We're going to uh, focus on it in, uh, on Tuesday week when we're going to talk about fears and filters, the uh, freedom plan, a four-step freedom plan. Now, it's not it. It's not that's the only way you can find yourself uh, moving towards John, John, John 10, 10a, but it certainly helps. And because it's founded on biblical principles, if you apply them because they're biblical principles, they work. And we'll touch on it in a, in a minute, but we seek the truth, we take action on the truth, we learn to secure our minds from Satan, and we learn to listen only to Jesus' voice. And when we apply those verses and those principles, we find that that's a vehicle that hurtles us towards John 10, 10b. And it's a process that takes time. It takes time. That's why we're going on about it, and we're going on about it, and we're going on about it. And we have some successes, and we have some failings. And as I'm going to move into the next part of the message, I'm going to talk in quite definitive terms, black and white terms, but there's a bit of gray because there are aspects of, of fear and faith that, that we're actually not too bad on fear in that area. We've sort of got, and we are living in faith, but there are other areas I'm really struggling with. That's really dragging me back. Uh, so it's not black and white. It's not... I don't have any fear anymore. I'm just a, a man of faith all the time. There are things that happen. There are challenges that happen. But I guarantee you that if we apply and get the glasses off and apply the kingdom worldview, a, a true positive reality, we'll find that we will live more and more and more in the joy, in the freedom, and in the fullness of what Jesus Christ promised us, which was life in all its fullness. So what is faith? The world's definition of faith. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. We're okay with that. Strong belief in the doctrines of a religion based on a spiritual conviction rather than proof. I'm starting to drift a wee bit from what we would uh, be comfortable with. Everyone has faith in something. I don't know about that. Everyone has faith in something. You have faith in the chairs that you're currently sitting in. You have faith that when you drive through a green light at a crossroads, when you can't see the cars coming down the side streets, that you've got right away. We all have faith in, in, in something. Uh, when we go to the light switch, we have faith that when we turn that light switch on, electricity is going to come and we're going to be able to see. Bill Johnson, brace yourself, said he's the guy that... Uh, is the senior pastor in Bethel, said, fear is faith in the devil. Now, the message that we give, we are not wanting to condemn or judge because Romans 8 verse 1 says there's no condemnation in those that are in Jesus Christ. But if we are embracing fear, we are facing the wrong way and we're having faith in the devil's ability to take us into the, the depths of John 10, 10a. 
where we are stolen uh, and we are, we are encased in uh, death and destruction. Fear is faith in the devil. So what I want to do today, as we all want to do every time we're speaking, is to talk about getting these glasses off, being able to see that what faith really is and the objective, absolute truth and biblical kingdom worldview of faith is summed up in a very well-known verse in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's in the uh, NIV, which is the Northern Ireland version for doing there, uh, or the New International Version. In the message translation, it says, the fundamental fact is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. Or in the amplified version it says, now faith is the assurance, title deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as a fact what cannot be experienced by physical senses. Now, we're talking about glasses, but we're actually talking about taking your glasses off and being able to see something that you can't see. So there's an element of faith that sort of uh, causes the, the mind to melt a little bit if you're going to live out of the, the soul mind as opposed to the spirit's mind and embrace the truth. So the difference between hope and faith. So Mark, uh, when we got to the end of worship, talked about receiving his hope, okay? And a guy, very wonderful man, who's uh, now in, in heaven, Dallas Willard, said uh, this about hope. Hope is the anticipation of unseen good, not here yet. And faith, he defined as, sees the reality of the unseen, and it includes a readiness to act as if the anticipated good were already in hand because of the reality of God. And I'll unpack that in a second. So hope is anticipation of unseen good not here yet. So that position is, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right because God is with us. We hope it's going to be all right. God's with us. But faith takes it to the next step. So faith sees the reality of the unseen and it includes a readiness to act as if the anticipated good were already in hand because of the reality of God. So hope is it's going to be all right because God is with us. Faith is we're going to live in the reality that because God is with us, it's going to be all right. So hope is more passive. It's going to be all right. God's with us. Faith is active because God is with us and we know God's with us. We're going to walk out away from faith, fear and embrace the promises and the offer of a kingdom worldview without any glasses because he is with us and God is good. And get this, right? Brace yourself. Western culture rages against faith. I mean rages with everything it's got against faith. The religious culture reduces faith and undermines faith to hope frequently, frequently, frequently. Let me explain that a little bit. So the worldview, 
secular worldview is there's nothing spiritual. We don't believe in spiritual. There's nothing spiritual. Faith out the window. Or materialistic worldview of Western culture. We must feel it, touch it. We must be able to prove it. You can't prove it. That's not faith. Well, if it's God, let me see him. Want to see it, want to touch it. I could, I could go toe-to-toe with someone over that, about whether we can prove our, our faith can be manifest. But Western worldview raises against that. And then there's the, the rationalism of working it out. Well, explain it to me. Come on, Mexican, explain it to me. How is that? How is, how is that? We're, we're, you know, it rages against it. And everything that comes out of the uh, TV, uh, out of cinema, challenges our worldview our kingdom worldview that we can actually see something that we can't see. Really? You see something that you can't see? Western worldview wants to kick that into touch. Religious culture, now get this bit, undermines faith to hope. And this is not to criticize or judge. This is my experience of reality. We're standing like we're standing in our underwear in the front line of a war zone and we're going... God's with us. Everything's going to be all right because we've got hope. But in order to fight the fight of faith, we need to take up the arms that we've been given. We need to take responsibility for that which we have responsibility for and be equipped so that we can actually effectively fight the fight of faith. We hope that God's going to work everything out. And the kicker is when we're standing, believing that we're standing in faith, but actually we're standing in hope, everything's going to be all right because God's with us. And God's not doing anything about our situation because we've got responsibility to do something about it. We then, as it says in Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says that a hope deferred makes the heart sick. Well, where is God? I'm standing here in the front line in my underwear, but I have the glasses on. I don't realize that I'm actually wearing my underwear because I thought actually uh, that that's how you normally stood and I haven't got my weapons and all the rest of it. Uh, And where is God? So I'm disappointed that he hasn't come and fixed my situation. I'm despondent and actually isolated and and desolate because I'm standing here and he's not not here. And my hope then gets sick and goes out. So I go from a place which I thought was faith but was actually hope to a place of desolation and concern and doubt and fear. And here we go, back into the clutches of the evil one's accusations and his lies. You know, it says in Revelation 12, 10, that Satan night and day stands before the Father accusing the brothers and sisters. That's who we're up against. That's what we have to do. So we must remove our our glasses and realize that there's a fight. Too many of us are standing in the front line thinking it's a rom-com. It's going to be all right. We're, you know, there's all this stuff happening. Here, come, here comes the enemy, and he's coming to steal, and he's going to destroy, and he's going to uh, rob me of all these things that are around me. But we play the soundtrack, and uh, you just see me dancing there, and God comes, and everything's all right because we're singing Kumbaya. And it's all going to be all right. It's a war, people. It's a fight of faith. It's a war. And if you don't get that, you got to get it. It's a war. It's a dirty war. It's the dirtiest war you can imagine. 
the number of times that I've been in prayer ministry situations and people say, well, this is what I believe. And you think, oh, that is the dirtiest lie. And you have believed that lie. He comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And his objective is to come and kill and steal and destroy. It's as simple, as blunt, and as ruthless as that. And he is not interested in whether we don't like it and we don't know what. He wants to kill. And if you're standing in a place of hope, singing Kumbaya in your underwear, he is delighted with that. Because he will surround you and he will come and he will take you down. So how do we exercise faith over faith? Now I'm talking specifically about this dynamic of rather than having fear, having faith. I'm not necessarily talking about uh, testimonies of, of faith where in faith we prayed for someone and boom, they got healed. And I could tell you stories about that all day long. I'm talking about this dynamic of fear versus faith. We embrace the negative reality that we are in a war, inclusive of being aware of how the enemy works. 2 Corinthians 2.11, for we are not unaware, we're not ignorant, we're not oblivious of his schemes. The front line of the war is right between our eyes. It's the battleground of our mind. It's how we think. It's how we act in response to those things. And he lies and accuses us. He deceives us and takes advantage of things. And then he just comes with the absolute, unashamed, blatantly obvious attack at the wrong time. To the extent that Hillary and I in our relationship have from time to time on a Sunday apologized, or certainly I have, because uh, I, I find it quite freeing myself to apologize, and then she would often agree for anything that we might say to each other in the next seven days. Because there's a whole lot of hassle coming. And what ha- how many people have experienced just at the time, you know, you're running late to get the stuff in the car and you realize you've got a flat tire. Or the two of you that are uh, in partnership wanting to do something suddenly realize that you're winding each other up. And if we fall for that and then get all annoyed at the fact I've got a flat tire, rather than go that it's an, an attack, need to get the tire sorted out, uh, need to make some phone calls, it's going to be all right. Or realize when you're in relational tension in the most inappropriate time, just when you're uh, about to uh, do something uh, for the, the kingdom of God and for Jesus and for the church or whatever, you're having a fight with your spouse or, or somebody's done something that offended you. That's the evil one coming to kill, steal, and destroy. So we need to embrace the fact that we're in a war. We need to take responsibility for that which we have responsibility for. So it says in 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We have everything we need. Well, where is it? Well, God's in our place. I hope God's saying, well, Exercise faith. I have given you everything, everything, everything you need. Now, part of the journey of faith and maturity uh, to be more like Jesus Christ, which is what our destination is all about all the time, is to learn how to do that. And sometimes we have successes and sometimes we have failures, but we have everything we need. We have been equipped. We take up the weapons at our disposal, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verses 3 to 5 says that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We, 
not God. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we, we, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And in Ephesians 6, it says, put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Actually, I've just, I actually quite often do this in the morning. I actually, it's sad, but it's true. I do the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and feet shod with the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Clunk, click every trip and out I go. I have my armor on. Clothed with grace and humility and flanked by your angels is my prayer. Overflowing with love. And that's my day. That's me set for the day. Why? Because it's a war. It's not a rom-com. It's a war. If I don't put my armor on, he's going to get me when my armor's not on. So I want to have my armor on all the time. So we exercise our faith and we fight. It's not 24-7, but it is 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What is the faith that we're seeking to keep? We're seeking to keep the faith that God is a faithful God and he cannot deny himself. That's what it says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. And if we start to wobble on that fact that God is faithful and he cannot deny himself, then doubt, fear, panic starts to come in and we start hurtling back into John 10, 10a. And the kingdom of darkness is having a field day. We take up our position towards God. Too often, we're standing in our underwear and we're trying with our uh, rolled up toilet roll or whatever, we're trying to fight the enemy when we're facing the wrong direction. We don't need to deal with the, the enemy. We need to position ourselves toward, towards him. He is faithful. You are good. You are good and your love endures. And that's all I need to focus on. And because I'm focusing on that, the evil one can't get our attention. And I guarantee you, not when we're just singing the songs and our minds drifting, but if we're genuinely worshiping, when we're genuinely worshiping, I guarantee that the enemy cannot get in. And the reason why he can't get in is because you're not facing him. You're facing the one who has all the promises and will do all that he can for us. It says in uh, uh, Psalm 16, verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So we take up our position towards God. We hold the line and we stand. Colin uses the example uh, from Castaway about uh, uh, when the guy was trying to get off the, the, the island and the breakers were coming in, he was on a raft, and then just when he thought he wasn't going to make it, he put his sail up, and the wind caught his sail, and he got over the waves, past the barrier reef, and out in the open ocean. My analogy from a film would be Braveheart. Okay? The difference being in the Braveheart film, uh, he's facing the enemy as the enemy come and they're charging in cavalry. They're all standing there. They don't have the weapons. You know what, Graham? Where they, they have the, the big spikes and at the last minute they, they put them up. So he has the army there. If they bring the spikes up too early, the enemy will, will hold back. Uh, so they have to hold. So he's standing there and, the, and it flicks to the... the the horses and, their, and the music's playing and they're trotting along there. And then it flicks back to him and he's going, hold. Scottish accent's not good, apologies. Uh, uh, 
and then it clicks back to the enemy and they're picking, oh, they're picking up a bit of space here, you know, starting to come. Uh, what am I really doing? What is it? <laughs> Gangnam style, forget that, right. Cuts back to them, he's going, now you've got all the, got all the, the sort of weaker guys, they're starting to uh, get really panicky a little bit further, but actually in the main set, you've got the real, the mighty men of Braveheart, they're standing there. So he's going, hold, and it cuts back to them, and they're really, they're really starting to charge now. They're setting their lances and all the rest of it, and it keeps cutting back. And the big guy, Fergus, I think his name is, at the very last one, he's going, hold, hold, hold. Fergus, you can see him going, oh my, and then he goes, no. And they pick up the spikes, and because the enemy is so close, the enemy is impaled by them simply holding the spikes. So what we do is we face him, and when the enemy comes in, we raise our sword, our spike, our song of worship, whatever it happens to be, and we impale the enemy. We impale the enemy in what we're going to do, and we stay focused on him, and we get more and more into faith. Okay, I'm done with this. I want to finish with uh, two stories, and I'll get you up in just a second, Nathan, but get ready. So, last night, at uh, 7 o'clock, we get a phone call. We, Charlie, our uh, youngest grandson, hopefully not our last grandson, uh, or our last grandchild, uh, but he is nine months old, nine and a half months old. He's got a temperature, and his heart rate's going really quickly, so they take him to, sorry, they didn't know that at that time. He's got a temperature, he's thrown up. They take him to the out of ours in down. They go, his heart rate is really fast, and he's got a, a temperature, but the temperature's not ha- that high, and there's something that's not quite adding up. They send him to the royal. I'm preparing my message. So am I, I going, heart problem? Nine-and-a-half-month-old child with a heart problem? Uh, he's got a temperature. He's throwing up. Uh, what am I going to choose to do? I'm going to choose to focus, because I've experienced this before, because it's blatant, obvious timing. And in no way I'm going, I don't care about the fact that my nine-and-a-half-month-old grandchild is being sick, has a temperature, and his heart is racing. It's not about that. It's about in the moment and in the war. How am I going to respond? And how I'm going to respond is I'm going to send up a spear uh, as the enemy comes in to go, you should be afraid, you should be distracted, you should be worried. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to trust and I'm going to have faith that it's going to be all right, and I'm going to exercise that faith. So I sing a song, which I don't think I'm going to sing now, uh, which is, uh, or it's one of those things, when Nathan and I go over the, the, uh, the set list, we can't actually say the songs, we have to sing them. Uh, so I might actually have to do it. Uh, I fix my eyes on you, creator of the world, and I stand in awe of you, of your glory and I live to worship you son of God king of heaven and the angels round your throne cry out holy to the one who is to come here I sing hallelujah it's a war You can shout freedom, you can do whatever you want, but I'm taking my position and I'm facing the one who will, who will, who cannot fail because that's who he is. So I sing that song. God admit it wasn't as loud as that. Where am I? Uh, 
wasn't as loud as that when I sang. The acoustics in here are quite good. Uh, and that was a little bit better than I thought. And I'm realized that I've gone over time. Last thing I want to say. I'm, I want you to get this, all right? Last Friday a week ago, we had our first DCB. You can, you can get up and uh, uh, join us, Nathan. We had our first DCB baby. Nathan's son, Joshua, means Jehovah is salvation. God saves us, right? It's a prophetic statement and name for who we are. Our uh, uh, mission statement is reaching, renewing, reproducing. We want to reproduce Joshua's. There were two Joshua generations. There was the Joshua generation of Joshua and Caleb where two out of about a million other people actually got into the promised land because of fear. Fear spread through the camp and they said, we're not going into the promised land. Even though the land is promised, Joshua and Caleb faced the promised land and said, let's go into the promised land. We don't want to be dying in the wilderness, which is what everybody else did. We want to live life to the full. John 10, 10, life and all its fullness. Please stand with me.